Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Josh Rubin. He is an actor, writer, director, and director whose feature film debut, Scare Me, premiered at Sundance before being swooped up by Shudder before its premiere. His second film, his latest film, Werewolves Within is currently in theaters and is will be premiering on VOD on July 2nd. Welcome to the show, Josh. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Josh. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for for doing this. Uh, we're really excited to talk about Werewolves Within, but before Werewolves Within, but before we do, let's take it back to the beginning. How did you get introduced to horror? Oh man, probably my sister Rachel, um, who some people uh, know. She's a songwriter. Her name is Rachel Yamagata. Um, we have a different dad, obviously, but um, so most people wouldn't think she's like a horror fan because she's kind of like you know Fiona Apple and Nora Jones had a baby, even though she'd probably kill me <laughs> for the comp. Um, but she was my, I think she was like a big a reason for my kind of um, my entryway, my gateway. She was the gatekeeper, if you will, uh, into horror because. <laughs> You know, like I grew up, you know, grew up in the 80s, was born in 83, and we had cable. So Friday the 13th was always on. Feel it felt like Freddy Krueger movies were always on. Freddy was like kind of a, um, oh, dare I say, like a cartoon character for me. <laughs> and I was watching stuff like, you know, Freddy's Nightmares and Monsters and Tales from the Dark Side, the TV show. And I think one of the gateway horror films was probably Stephen King's Cat's Eye, oh. that like uh, ridiculous anthology movie. Yeah, with Drew Barrymore. I think the monster, like the troll in the wall really got me. Um, and uh, and that was kind of it, you know. So, but so my, my intro is like a lot of... I would say it skewed more sort of horror comedy, like schlocky 80s color sort of a vibe opposed to, you know, more more bleak mm. stuff. 
Uh, so I have to ask, since you kind of you you grew up in the same uh, decade. I was born in eighty one, so we're we're pretty close in age. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was your favorite, Freddie or Jason? Oh, Freddie for sure. Freddie. I mean, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jason. Jason's <laughs> rad. You know, it had some. There were some cool, uh, some cool twists and turns throughout the the eons of films, but Freddie was just how he gradually got funnier and more ridiculous and how, you know, the underdogs could kind of fight back like dream warriors. Yeah. There's nothing, nothing better, but he just, it got so, so big and colorful and, and fun. And the mm-hmm. yeah, hit all part parts of the, uh, the horror lizard brain for me. I'm glad to hear that because <laughs> this uh, would have been a very short interview if I heard otherwise. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was on a clubhouse chat recently, not to get off topic, where Kane Hodder uh, was a guest, oh, and wow. I was I was like so starstruck, and I was like, "Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. Who would have thought? You know, one of the you know uh, the 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 two icons I grew up watching, you know, Freddie and Jason. That Jason would be right here, and he's like, Freddie's a bitch, and it was so <laughs> oh, it was so I was like, wow, shots fired, and he's like, yeah. Well, well, the thing that, you know, most people don't know, he's very sweet. Okay, I don't know him personally, but just like talking to him in this like clubhouse app, he was like, well, you know, one thing people don't know is that Freddie's a bitch. And I was like, well, there you go. That's awesome. Um, Sounds like a Jason thing to say. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure he had exactly the same tension on set as Tom Hardy and Christian Bale. You know, I bet (laughs) just uh, that same (laughs) icon, icon tension face off. Yeah, it was that was pretty rad. Wow. Uh, so you said that you kind of skewed more toward the colorful um, kind of horror comedies. Do you remember some of your favorites growing up? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I think I think um, beyond like Dream Warriors, which was so, so fun and ridiculous. I mean, kids literally becoming sort of superheroes more or less to take on um, an entity like Freddy. I think it was like big time Tales from the Crypt. I mean, that that was a whole mm. horror anthology series that was funny. I mean, you know, everything from Jeffrey Tambor in a fat suit, um, you know, trying <laughs> to murder his ex, his, his wife and Demi oh, Moore right. to like, yeah, to like Joe Pesci getting sawn, uh, sawed in half. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I could go on and on about that series, but I think Tales from the Crypt was massive for me. Freddy was massive for me. And um, I think probably movies that inadvertently sort of were funnier than intended, like Creep Show, um, you know, I thought was just great. Even Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. And then if we want to go a little kind of brighter, Beetlejuice and Gremlins and mm. Ghostbusters, like all oh, those yeah. kind of great – yeah, great, great gateway horrors were so so killer. You're describing my childhood. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm doing doing a lot of these sort of podcasts, interviews, and stuff. I'm like, man, you know, so many of us filmmakers of that certain age that are growing up, you know, the the Duffer Brothers, you know, of us who are growing up and sort of like recreating their childhoods. I wonder what it'll be 20 years from now, and if it'll be like, yeah, you know, the Ari Aster era <laughs> of you know elevated horror, that bad word. Um, but I, I, it just, I, I think it was such a, a golden era, you know, probably the way that a lot of people who grew up in the fifties, you know, look back at that era and think, my God, what an era for sci-fi and for, you know, the universal monsters and all. Yeah. God, we're going to look back and say, wow, what an era for everyone realizing how fucking depressed they were and <laughs> like being very, <laughs> yeah, totally. very honest about that. That'll be very interesting. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> I don't feel like we're as colorful as past. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll look different when we get in the future, but I feel like we're much darker than a lot of <laughs> past eras of horror. Well, I, I'd like to think that, yeah, things are turning around. It's it's why I'm really proud of, you know, not to jump into to werewolves, but I think like the reason why I think this is going to gonna hit to a degree and people respond to it is that it's fun. Mm-hmm. And like we, we kind of need, especially coming out of this past year and change of – you know, um, forced reflection, you know, uh, a mirroring of our flaws and, and all, um, socially and otherwise, I think people are ready to have fun again. Um, and I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready for that kind of, you know, that brighter resurgence of horror we saw. Like, I want to know what the next Beetlejuice and Tremors Mm. and, you know, um, I'm excited to see what Reitman's going to do with Afterlife and everything. So, yeah, I don't know. I I hope it is fun for a beat. Uh, You know, Mary Beth and I have talked about this a couple times, like offline, but I I completely agree because, you know, we've especially the, the I mean, the two of us, we cover a lot of festivals and we see a lot of the the indie films that are coming out. And there's been a lot of really Mm -hmm. kind of sad downbeat movies and i am personally bleak. looking forward to yes bleak has been a yeah a word that i've like tried to find different synonyms for because i feel like i've been using it so often in my like describing dreadful yeah, right. you know that's another good one like a lot of cold opens with a whole family murdered and it's like you know i think i'm and ready that's the for happy part <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, I love Autopsy of Jane Doe, but it's like, well, another coroner walking through a bloodstained house, yeah. you know, it's, uh, yeah, ready for a joke. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of am hoping that we'll take that, take kind of a turn, at least maybe like a dalliance through kind of more upbeat and humorous things personally i i hope so i hope i I think we're ready for it you know it's like why can't you know i'm 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 dying to get my hands on dark man i thought dark man was so funny and so wonderful and weird like i i think we're ready for a horror hero oh yeah ramey-esque ridiculous uh you know gory effects but also like you know give me the pink elephant (laughs) i'm just like just really Really ridiculous uh, excuse for Dutch angles and uh, fun action sequences, you know. You know, I haven't seen that movie since I was since it, what came out. Uh, all I remember is literally the uh, the cigar cutter and the fingers. That is literally oh all yeah. I remember about that movie. Yeah. It holds up, man. I I bought it because I was like, I'm 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 like setting an intention, like that I'm going to make either remake or make some version or some universe, some IP in the universe that of Dark Man. Uh, <laughs> I I bought the movie and have watched it since I bought it like five months ago, like three times, and it holds up. It is still fun. Like it is worth checking out okay, for sure. I'm gonna. It's it's awesome. The that. other the other two not so much. Oh, was but, there yeah. two? I just remember the one the one. I didn't know there were two. Yeah, Arnold Vosloo, and he like didn't make any effort to cover up his accent. <laughs> so it's like, well, that's weird. <laughs> so since we kind of are talking about movies of today, uh, what draws you to horror as an adult? As an adult. Don't I don't know. Like, why do I always go to Shutter and look for like what's on Shutter TV or what? Uh, I want to say like initially what draws me in is to revisit that nostalgia, that nostalgic mm-hmm. era that I love so much. Like the you know the kind of colorful ridiculousness of it all. Like after you guys interviewed, was it Keith Thomas who mm-hmm. did the vigil? Mm-hmm. After you guys did that interview, I went back and watched Phenomena, oh. um, and was like. Oh my God. Like it was, it's absolutely so insane, but it was, I think part of, um, 
what makes it so fun and draws me in is, I mean, that's an extreme example uh, of, you know, hitting all sides of the kind of, you know, ridiculous genre movie loving, oh, it uh, sure does. <laughs> loving lizard brain. But I, I think it's just that it truly, I don't know, for me, it just, it's, it's like, it hits on all, all sides of the brain. It's been a good one has, has humor to kind of break it up. Even Carpenter imbued, you know, like buoyant beats to offset the creature in the dark corners kind of, um, kind of moments. And, uh, I don't know, for me, it just feels like it, it has, it has something for kind of, for kind of every, every bit of what, what I'm looking for taste wise. It's like, you, you know, you get the kind of, the 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 emotional stakes um you know for for an awesome performance an awesome performer you get to see them you know emote the way that they do if you're looking at something as far back as you know whatever uh let's say halloween is an example jennifer you know uh, um uh, jamie lee curtis uh as laurie strode like you know going all out in that performance and that kind of mm. emotionality and really committing to it but then also the action sequence at all of it all the jump scare of it all and then the you know to like quiet place too which i saw the other day it's like you get you know just incredible um i don't know just in- incredible imaginative creatures and uh, uh people trying to kind of you know filmmakers trying to one-up what has kind of already been done or sort of doing their best to reinvent the wheel it just constantly it feels like it's it's evolving and if it isn't evolving and if it's sort of retracing steps it just it just feels like a warm blanket to me. I know it's kind of a scrambled eggs of an answer, but um, it's it just it really hits on all sides of everything I, I ever I ever you know loved as a as a film goer. And I think it, you know if I were to really pare it down, it's that often you get to see underdogs um, take on something um, from another world or you know uh, yeah. or, or worse. Yeah, yeah. And so, do you ever get scared like as an adult? And get that childhood fear when watching horror, or are you jaded like us? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I I gotta say, like using Quiet Place Two as an example, like that had some awesome jump scares oh, for me. It's so it, unfair. It really did though. It had some really fucking good jump it, scares. It just like legit, really fucking good. It was like it's just unfair because it's like okay, well we have to be quiet, and you ha- it's like it just it warrants that you know when the sound does come back and it's like fuck, but it <laughs> is from a chemistry standpoint. You know, you you do understand, or you can sort of see that there is there is a chemistry to it. You know that 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 the silence and disarming uh, kind of emotional beat preceding a um, a giant leap in sound. You know, if if ideally a little more inventive than just you know a musical sting, it's effective. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I, I don't I, I definitely did recently. It it is hard. It is hard to do. I would say I'm more responsive to imagery that can you know um, leave me unsettled. Yeah. You know, I feel like actually movies like Phenomena, you know, Argento and stuff, they do that to me. It's just such unsettling imagery. The kid in the basement, whatnot, you know, stuff like that, <laughs> yeah, stuff right. like that. But if you can do it, and especially like you know, um, uh, flanking characters you give a shit about, I mean, that's like what is better, you know? Amen. <laughs> uh, okay, so kind of transitioning to Werewolves Within, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what the what that film's about? That was a lot of abouts. <laughs> sure. Well, it's about. Uh, <laughs> 
It's about a divided town, some newcomers, some townies that have lived in in this uh this sort of village for some time, getting snowed in together at the local lodge while a um a creature sort of lurks about and terrorizes them. And then uh in so doing, their toxic resentment sort of boil over. Um and uh and yeah, they kind of um all hell breaks loose, essentially. So um, I think our, our biggest compliment came recently from a reviewer who said it's like a call it claws out, like knives out with a werewolf. And I was like, that's kind, <laughs> of, kind of a good way. That's perfect. That's actually what I was thinking. Not exactly claws out. I'm not that clever, unfortunately. But it reminded me of <laughs> knives out and like that kind of whodunit with werewolves vibe, which I was very into. Well, that's a huge compliment um, because my fiance and I just rewatched Knives Out and it is just like such an impeccable script. And I was like, well, you know, I guess I'll just give up and go back to working at Best Buy forever. <laughs> um, but uh, I, yeah, I it, it was a real, that was a really lovely thing to kind of get the comp for. I think it's a, probably a little bit more like Clue because it's it's a bit brighter, it's a bit more buoyant um, to a degree, but there is certainly the whodunit aspect and and it's effective. It's really nice to hear that that folks you know didn't didn't quite see it coming. So that's that's the hugest compliment of all. I think I'm actually surprised that there's not um, a whole lot more of kind of like a whodunit with a werewolf a motif because like the one that immediately comes to mind is the amicus film from 1970s the beast must die but like it's mm-hmm. not it's not mm-hmm. a subgenre that gets explored too much i don't think and it's it's kind of ripe for that kind of whodunit because it's literally potentially about the evil that lives within men or in women you know it's like it, it just it feels yeah the monster within us right. all right yeah i also have to say that uh i mean I, I mean, I hate to like give hyper hyperboles, but like I, this might be the best video game adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> That's very, very I mean, cool. I, I, OK, I have not played the video game that this is based on, but I know what it is because it's based on like the, the kind of ultimate werewolf or the mafia card game where everyone mm-hmm. is like taking on a secret role and one of them is a killer and they kill people. But like. I think because it's such a basic premise that you're able to just sort of like, well, Mishna Wolf, which great last name for writing a werewolf movie, <laughs> just like <laughs> takes that and just runs with it in such an interesting way. Yeah, she she really does. I mean, the the, the thing that um leapt off the page for me, it has such a Coen's-esque mm. vibe mm-hmm. about it. And, so, and it reminded me weirdly of like, sure, like elements of Jaws, elements of like an Edgar Wright film to a degree, like a bit of Shaun of the Dead. Mm. But it, it also made me... Maybe think of like arachnophobia. Uh, like that was one of my favorite uh, movies. Like like and successful, I would say, truly successful horror comedies. You have terrifying circumstances in that film, but you also have s- such laugh out loud moments and that that was the that was what I was sort of striving for, like beyond style, beyond like being so inspired by the likes of like Taika Waititi and you know Lee Winnell and and um and Edgar Wright, I, I was like you know that sort of grounded true terror hitting you know shit hitting the fan in that kind of way. I even think the the Burbs kind of does mm. it well, but that you know they get away with like brighter sort of bigger performances, which is what we sort of do here, and I, I think um. Yeah, that that vibe just leapt off the page and I was like I have to be a part of this. This is this this combines everything I loved about what I grew up watching and um you know, I think I I at this point in my life um realized the <laughs> the technical proficiency I guess to be able to helm it, you know. 
Yeah. So, uh, but continuing on with that that point. So, how how did you get involved with this? Was it uh, you saw the the script and you just fell in love with it, or how did how did you get involved? Well, um, uh, Natalie Metzger and Matt Miller, who are the producers at a company called Vanishing Angle, they actually were producing a film called The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. At the time, they came in and so graciously. Um, offered to attend a test screening for Scare Me, my first feature. And they watched the like very first cut, like a two hour and 10 minute, super fat, super long film um, cut. And uh, they were like, holy shit, you know, this guy can, this guy can do movies and also he can, you know, he can helm something that's contained and make it somehow interesting. So they say, and so a script came across their way, Mishnah's script, um, via Ubisoft's Women's um, Film and Television uh, Fellowship Program. And, um, you know, my first reaction was this should be directed by not a Caucasian 37-year-old man, <laughs> um, b- but um, Mishnah was very involved in the process and that was that was how I would have it no other way. But to pitch on it, you know, I was like, okay, well... I will make sure that this is as inclusive a cast as ever, that it is as, you know, woke without being um, preachy of a script as possible. You know, if we can make it even kind of better without, you know, like shaming anyone on any side of any political spectrum, which I think I think she did pretty well. We did pretty well. Um, But anyway, they you know, Matt and Natalie thought that I would be an appropriate sort of barometer for this um, for this horror comedy tone, which is a tough one. And it is a world that I am passionate about. About, um, you know, kind of having that in my blood since I was a kid, just like devouring so much of it. So I pitched on it. I said, hey, you know, I was a shy, chubby kid who, you know, was had a big imagination running around the woods in the Hudson Valley. And, you know, these are the kinds of stories I imagine myself living in. And and also I, you know, um, I know my responsibility as a filmmaker and I want to make this a very inclusive cast. I want to make this a cast of not assholes of like really good people and, um, you know, and build something really special here because already the fellowship is special. What Ubisoft is doing, uh, and made possible for a writer like Mishnah is incredible. So I, I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to honor that. Um, and it was, that, that was, you know, a piece of what I kind of went in, you know, and pitched with was, you know, not only my take, not only my personal relationship to living in a town that sort of was like Beaverfield, you know, with, um, where everybody kind of knows your business. Hmm. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, also wanting to, to make something that felt like we grew up watching that was kind of escapist, but also, you know, um, um, offered just kind of, uh, you know, kind of something different that was able to, you know, um, we were able to see someone like Sam Richardson be the yeah. hero, for example, yeah. you know, we're able to see like Rebecca Henderson's part, for example, you know, Dr. Ellis was written for like a Richard Jenkins type. And I was like, no, I want Russian dolls, Rebecca Henderson. She can absolutely play this part. Why shouldn't we, you know, have this sort of role? And then two, to do something where, you know, actors like Harvey and like uh, George Basil, who's a buddy of mine, to come aboard and choose or ask me or tell me who they would prefer to play their spouse so that they would have kind of skin in the game. They would have real chemistry with someone and they were able to offer up, you know, names like Cheyenne Jackson and Sarah Burns, who I hadn't, you know, quite thought of before. So, you know, from the ground up, it was a really cool um, kind of, you know, building of a summer camp where we got to, you know, make a make a creature feature, one that would, you know, ideally terrify you and make you laugh. Okay, so you just listed like a who's who of like character actors. And I have to say that (laughs) that was the thing that like really jumped 
out at me uh, when I when I first watched this film because I remember I, I okay so Search Party had come out like a yeah. few years ago and I'm watching this amazing performance by Michaela Watkins as, as Polly the lawyer in that film and I'm like why don't I see her in more stuff and I see all these 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 people that you have cast in this film that I have seen on like television like for me Cheyenne Jackson was Thirty Rock and um, mm-hmm. you know back even back with with Scare Me uh, Aya Cash was you know you're the worst I'm seeing mm-hmm. all these these characters that these actors that you've cast in these films and they're just like it's a who's who of fantastic sometimes overlooked comedic actors yeah absolutely and you know it's like we really lucked out with um with glenn fleshler you know here here's a guy who can not only play like the terrifying yellow king in true detective season oh, one yeah. but also like make you laugh your ass off and bury and mm-hmm. like play terrified so well like play b status so well in joker um, and then to come aboard and just be like this, you know, w- wily haired mountain man and be down to do it, be excited <laughs> to disappear into that part. And, you know, and, and for Sam too, like Sam Richardson coming aboard and basically playing like this, you know, well-meaning leader to come in and, you know, hold true in his, in his, his authority and his like masculinity, you know, trying to take charge and not feeling like he's, you know, um, he's treading waters, you know, in a way that that, you know, someone like him might do in a small town, you know, and um, I think you've got a lot of really interesting subtext there. You know, he's coming into a predominantly white town, too, which mm-hmm. is the kind of town mm-hmm. I grew up in. And here's someone who has to come in and exact authority. And like, even though it isn't so explicitly called out, someone like Michaela's character sort of does you know she sort of does go there and um i thought you know just opening up our casting to that degree and having sam come aboard asking him aboard to do it and being so so um honored that he did just just puts the film i think on a, on another level without getting ham-fisted about everything and um yeah and it's it's wonderful and someone like Chernus too like michael Chernus, i've never seen him play a scumbag and was like i know you can do it and i'm a huge fan of yours i've been a fan of yours since like the play days you know and He's like doing, you know, Men in Black and Spider-Man and now coming doing our little film. (laughs) He's kind of a creep in this film and I love it. Yeah. (laughs) But okay, we all... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to... I think we're going to totally say the same thing and talking about Milana Ventrub. Oh, Oh, yeah. Cecily. Oh, my God. She's phenomenal. She is so... Everyone in this cast is amazing, but she really stood out to me. Oh, she... Milana's been... um, actually been a buddy of mine since like early, early college humor days. Like I came up making videos for college humor and Milan I met years ago and she's always been like so sharply, sharply funny, like deadly funny. And, um, <laughs> and I, I, I can't recall quite a many, um, opportunities for her vehicles for her to play, you know, everything or the, to, to the sort of top of her ability. I mean, she's, she's done some really great stuff, especially in the comedic world, but to see her play a little bit more emotional and textured as she does, I mean, everybody it's, you know, you, everybody has their moment and that's the kind mm-hmm. of beautiful thing about, yeah. about this film. Um, and everything, you know, me, like the actor in me, you know, wants for, um, for everyone, you know, a part of the troupe to, uh, come aboard and, and, and do, you know, have something to actually chew on. Pardon the pun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, okay, Josh, we've talked about your horror history and we've talked about werewolves within, but Josh, what movie did you bring with you to talk about today? Oh boy. Well, I hmm. went ahead and corrupted the memory and rewatched <laughs> Flight of the Navigator. 
Flight um, of the Navigator. I'm All so right. glad I did. Flight of the Navigator. Disney's <laughs> Flight of the Navigator. So uh, Flight of the Navigator uh, takes place in 1978, where a boy travels eight years into the future and has an adventure with an intelligent, wisecracking alien ship. That's the IMDb <laughs> summary, but boy, does that not tell even half of the story. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. And also, they let eight-year-old kids walk in the woods like a quarter mile from home. Anyway, that's just like, yeah, something I picked up on it rewatching okay, it this morning. Yes. <laughs> pin in that because we are definitely going to talk about that i have thoughts oh my god um, so many thoughts <laughs> but before we do get to that let, let's take it back to when you first saw this how old were you how did you see this movie how did it affect you what do you remember about this film and why did you choose this as uh your scarred for life moment I can't. I was probably like the little brother's intended age. Was it Richie? I don't know. I want to say Richie because of Christmas Jeff. story. Jeff, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jeff, I was probably <laughs> Jeff's age, like five or six when I saw this. And I was such a homebody. I'm a cancer. Um, and I, uh, <laughs> like, like I was a kid who had a total meltdown when he went to kindergarten, like the first day at kindergarten oh. class, like I had to go with my teddy bear, like, like screamed and cried and begged my mom to stay, like had a total meltdown. Some kids like my friends, my friend's daughter, I'm like, does she like, go- does she like going to school? It's like, loves it. Yeah. gets out of the car, like babbles on about how, what, what a great you know day she had at school. I was like total conniption meltdown cuckoo's nest freak out like i want to go back home want to go home immediately so i think i think the big thing that really hit me was i was a little kid um living in a suburb they were in fort lauderdale i grew up in in potomac maryland very different but living in sort of a similar wait are you serious yeah i grew up in potomac i live in i live in silver spring oh wow yeah montgomery mall the little uh boyardee uh, chef on the egg beater uh riding around the cafeteria is that still there uh, it's got way fancier. Since I then. bet. Boy, oh my oh god, that's that like... is a bougie ass mall. When I it was a kid, bougie... it was just like a KB and like a you know B Dalton bookstore, and you know you get a Ren and Stimpy toy and then call it a day. But no, this one's got like the bougie movie theater and like a ridiculous like lobster roll. Oh my god! Stand, of course stand it does. In the, like in the um the food court, and it's there's become like, a like Tyson's Corner. Oh, it is. It's like a mini Tyson's Corner. Sorry, wow. Terry. I just heard Potomac, and I'm like, no one. Yeah, no one's funny. from Potomac. You're no a white, 37 year old man from Potomac, Maryland. Why are we? To- why are you interesting? Um, yeah, no, I, uh, I can't believe I'm uh, have a have the spotlight. I shouldn't. Um, no, I. Uh, Anyway, <laughs> yeah, well, that was that was the kind of that was the in the 80s. Anyway, that, you know, that world looked very much like the movie. And yeah. so I think I put myself in that kids in like Michael's shoes. And um, was that his name? God, I'm so bad. Jeff. Jeff is the young. Is Jeff the, is the is brother. The ki- but the yeah, main then, uh, kid, David. OK, David, David. So David's like putting myself in David's shoes and being like, when he opened the door after falling down the ravine, like walking through the woods and opening the door and like that woman, that, that old woman who mm. is perfectly sweet in his 
like what he thought was his house and the wallpaper's different. Oh. Everything's different. He runs upstairs and a strange man in his bedroom, like in his, his little man cave now. And then to see his parents and his parents are weathered 12 years older. They remember him, but they're like a little more, they're just, there's something off and him just being like, I want to go home. I want my mom. I want my dad. Everything is weird. That terrified me. It just to- got to the nerve core of like Josh's trauma. Like worst nightmare when I was a kid was like, Sleepaway camp, away from home, getting lost. I want my mom and dad. I can't find my mom and dad. And this was like, oh, this is everything. You know, this is all the trauma. But then the Beach Boys, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But then the Beach Boys. Yeah. You really kind of encapsulated that the fears that I that I I remember seeing when I was a kid watching this movie. When he does open that door and that old lady is there, it kind of, even though it's not uncanny, it still feels in that uncanny valley of like, this is Mm. not the way things should be. You're opening the door and you're expecting to see your mom and it's someone that is incredibly old. And then when you finally do meet your mom, she like comes out and she's so excited to see you, but she looks so different and so much older that there is that, that uncanny valley feel of like, wait, you are you my parents? Because you don't look like my parents. Yeah. I mean, it just Alan Silvestri's score, which is epic, which like rips, which is just basically all, you know, it's so, it's so stranger things, um, influencing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, E.T. had only come out a few years previous. It was also very clearly, there's like E.T. references in it and stuff, but it, it really, yeah, it really tapped into, um, some kind of, like cosmic dread um mm. about what what it would sort of feel like to never quite make it home and then i probably did something to me like lit up my guts when he was like no i choose to not go home i'm gonna get back on this like ship and like try and like truly go home you know yeah. um but uh but yeah it it um that that was definitely what scarred me and i i specifically remember thinking about like even when the NASA folks wanted to take him in and were like trying to like put him at ease with brand new toys. I also remember thinking like how badly I wanted like the GI Joe and battleship, you know, and like whatever speaking spell that was like on the bed in NASA. Yeah. I was like, is this all mine? Cause I was like a kid that would have a total meltdown, but you know, you give me a GI Joe, I'll probably shut up for at least five minutes, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like that would work on me, you know? Yeah. Okay. So, the way that this film kind of deals with abduction in two different ways, because like, okay, the kid mm. gets abducted by the alien and he doesn't remember anything. It's transported eight years later. And then the scientists come in under like the guise of going to keep him for 48 hours. And it, apparently mm. in the original script, it was even more malicious and it was going to be longer. Like they were going to keep him to study him f- uh, for eternity. Um, so you, you have that and you have that, that kind of fear of the people that are supposed to be in charge that are basically kidnapping David, putting him in another locked room that has a two way mirror and Mm. not allowing him to talk to his parents unless it's monitored by, by the, the one doctor to make sure that he doesn't say anything like this is another form of, of kind of abduction it's a total kinder trauma move. I mean, it's not the peanut butter cup solution by any means, but it's like, this is kind of a kinder trauma movie for me because of you know to to that degree and it was also like i i guess it was made if it was made in 86 it's just interesting that in the beginning the mom is like go look for your little brother but mom he's eight years old you know but yeah but he left five minutes ago and he's he, he has to walk like a quarter mile home through the woods and it's like 
I guess in the mid eighties, by the time this came out in 86 or whatever it was like, that was also, I assume pretty normal because it was a part of, you know, it was a part of the plot. Um, I mean, that was normal for me. I I remember, uh, I I lived in Alaska, uh, in the eighties and I remember being kind of around that age of eight to 10 and just sort of like free reign in the forest behind our house where yeah. there could be a bear in there. I mean, it's, it's like, I, I remember, I remember one time there was like someone had made a makeshift like swing over a, like a valley. And I remember you, you kind of, it's like a rope thing from a tree and you have like a stick and you grab hold of that stick and you swing from one side of this kind of tree that's overlooking a valley to the other side. And I remember doing that as an eight year old and slipping off once and falling and getting the, the oh, wind sure. knocked out of me. Christ. And like, I'm just, I'm like, I don't know, like maybe, maybe half a mile away from home. And I'm like on the ground, knocked out and I'm not even thinking anything of it. And now I'm as an adult, I'm like, man, how did I survive? I know. I want, I wonder if it's like, wow, we truly like, I uh, feel like George Carlin would have done like a bit on this. Like, man, we've really softened up. You know, when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, we'd swim in sewage or whatever, but it's like, We like when we think about it, like, yeah, we like played in the woods all day and with with no cell phone and our parents were just like happily drinking Pinot Grigio or just, you know, do like, (laughs) you know, selling door to door knives or whatever they were doing. Um, And uh, I I just yeah, it 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 hit me on so many different levels, I think, because my parents in that age um, were kind of more sheltering, more helicopter parenty because their folks like truly weren't. And mm-hmm. so it, um, it hit me, it hit me pretty hard. It was like, just saw it at that, that exact age where it was like, you know, um, how terrifying would it be for you to, uh, to, you know, get kidnapped or lose your way or, you know, stranger danger or whatever it was. And then, um, just getting further and further from home until you like, you know, you truly have nothing but, um, a couple of puppet aliens. <laughs> keep just keeping you company, you know, yeah. just keeping you just company. Keeping- He's got a cold. <laughs> a lot, by the way, uh, like Paul Rubens, he like flat out made a terrible fat joke, but anyway, I guess. Well, uh, okay. He uh, did. And also I was. It was just Pee Wee Herman. Like, he wasn't even trying to be a different yeah, character. Yeah. I was like, it's just... Pee Wee had come out. So it was, like, just so clearly, like, Randall Kleiser being like... But by the way, Randall Kleiser, who also directed Grease, they're listening to You're the One That I Want, like, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. For So the, this is the original Marvel Universe. And then um, and then he's like... Or like Stephen King, you know, Derry, Maine. He's just like, yeah, well, you know, we'll have him listen to Grease. You know, this will be my slush show. Um, I'm J.J. Abrams. Um, oh, uh, my God. And, yeah. And then like just, yeah, huh, why don't you eat a, eating too many Twinkies, like Blimpy? And it was like, ouch. I, yeah. Comedy does not age well. Believe me, I laughed at all the, the worst kind of jokes and have probably made them in my time at College Humor. I'll get canceled for all of them. But like to hear them to revisit a movie made in 86 where it was like, this is what's going to be funny. I'm just going to make make fun of a dude who ate too much. was like, wow, you really do. Um, it's a little time capsule. <laughs> yep. Just... I mean, fascinating. That's one of the things that I've I've realized rewatching movies from the eighties. That like yeah. I grew up as a kid, where like it, the the one that really pops in my in my mind is Monster Squad, where they just mm. casually throw around the uh, homophobic slur. Like, oh yeah, constantly. totally. And I'm I'm just like, man, this was like you know kids entertainment at the time. And you're right, the way that humor has has changed over the years. But also, Paul Rubin, I think he was credited as someone else. Like he didn't. 
wasn't credited mm. as Paul Rubin because I noticed on IMDb it's like as Paul Mall. Oh, <laughs> was oh what he was credited as. Yeah, you know the cigarette. Um, yeah, Wait, I, when did, when did I, Paul I, Rubin get thought. in trouble for jerking off in a movie theater? That was oh, that might have oh no, that was in the nineties. That was, was like ninety two. Okay, I wasn't yeah. sure. I couldn't remember. I was like, I know that he got in trouble yeah. for being gross in public. <laughs> yeah. God, that was a big day. I remember like being at like <laughs> sorry, that was a big day. <laughs> no, I was I was a big day. I remember just like being at my uh, my aunt and uncle's lake house with cousin Dan and her being like, um, you know, you guys. I don't know if you want to read the paper, but um, Pee Wee's in trouble. And I was like, wow. He first of all, he looks like that. Like he grew long hair. Um, and then uh, who would have thought he pulled a Fred Willard and still doing the thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say to that yeah me neither sorry i'm big day it was a big day for us up in saratoga springs just like you know what happened to paul um pa- for, paul. i was like as a kid you're like first of all his name is paul yeah. second of all na- i think right? he had just done like buffy the vampire slayer and so i was like oh like he's also he's a real human being he's not a peewee and uh he took his peewee out yeah oh, it was, uh, it's a big big day big- Big day, day for, us. for you guys. Wow. <laughs> like, but honestly, okay. Yeah. I, sorry to keep talking about Paul Rubens, but when I realized no, he was not like when you realize that he Pee Wee Herman is not an actual person but a character, and you're like, yeah. huh? My worldview. Mind blowing. That's what I was saying. Like, with it, wait, he has hey, he has longer hair and he whatever. <laughs> and has he a, has, he, like he has a and he has a penis. Yeah, exactly. You kind of think like, oh, he's just like you know, just like a Ken doll or a Pee Wee doll for that matter. Like he just you know. All flat. <laughs> um, what else were we not... talking about? <laughs> oh yeah, back to flight, and then oh yeah, sorry, Paul Rubens making fun of uh, his voiceover, making fun of a an overweight man at a gas station yes. whose direction was just keep staring while holding this coke. Um, <laughs> well, make sure you got to make sure that that's in in frame though too, right? You got to get that. Yeah, that, absolutely. That the branding. Very much so, Branding. <laughs> We'd love to have our can in when uh, he makes fun of the man for being obese. That'd be great. Yeah, if you could just frame in Coca-Cola when he makes fun of the... Right there. Makes fun of the uh, overweight gentleman. That'd yep. be great. Thank you so much. You know, watching this, though, as an adult, like, the thing that actually kind of scared me the mo- the most, or made me think a little bit more about the most, is, is the way that this beginning part feels like um the, the kind of child abdu- abduction stories that were really huge in the 70s oh, and the 80s yeah. because yeah. like I, I i i actually pulled up an article because i was i was curious about it because i i just remember that being a thing when i was a kid and there was um there's an article at osu.edu and they were talking about how in the 1950s the fear of child abductions became l- more than a fear of like rich people's kids being abducted for ransom and more about like the idea of sexual assault and, and, oh, and yeah. that kind of thing. And so that kind of transition into the seventies and eighties where you had a lot of, you know, male, particularly child abductions. Mm-hmm. And then, so we have this established where this kid vanishes. And I just started thinking about his parents, about how this kid, especially at that time period, what they would be thinking that was happening over the course of like eight years. Cause they never find him. You know, it's not like there's a ransom up. He just vanishes. And I think this movie really, actually ties into that fear in the in the beginning half like very hard <laughs> oh my gosh well even too i mean once he is discovered once he's like going to the hospital like there's a there's a very specific moment where the transition the musical transition after he faints in his mom's arms is like the warbled kind of fire in the sky alien-esque like octave oh. shift that is so creepy combined with the sylvester music and by the way i don't i don't want to you know, 
harp on your point, but it is, it is a valuable point. You know, like I think from what I remember being a kid or what I remember like loving, loving America's most wanted Mm. about host John Walsh is that Mm. his son was abducted and murdered and his Mm -hmm. son, Adam looked a lot like this kid. Um, like when you, when you kind of look back and you think like a brunette who's like in the striped shirt and doing, that's just where my morbid kind of mind goes. But I do wonder, like, I think his son was abducted. I want to say in the late seventies, but it's also like, you're going to, maybe it was, maybe it was later. I think it was in the the early eighties, late seventies. They made this movie in 80, whatever it was, 85 or 86. 86. Yeah. So it's like, you know, uh, it's, it's a Disney movie. That definitely takes place or, you know, in, in a world where maybe one of the most brutal, certainly in my memory, you know, kidnappings, um, and murders <laughs> like took place, right. you know, um, you know, not well, to kind of go like, there, but it's like, yeah, wow. They knew it, you know? Well, it was a, it was a genuine fear in the, in the eighties. It, it kind of, I think was conflated in the same sense that like the satanic panic of that, that outrage of that time period was, was it conflated. Cause I, that article that I found also also talks about how one of the uh, at various points in the 1980s Americans were led to believe that as many as 1 million children a year were missing and presumed to be subjects of stranger abductions and wow. so you have that statistic that's being like har- um, harped home this entire 80s and then it's discovered in the and then 90s by the justice department that that actually the kind of stranger danger aspect of it was a lot smaller than those numbers but like that was the the statistic that was being harped upon American parents at the time. And you had those child kidnappings from like the, the seventies and, and, and the eighties that were making, you know, big, huge, like new splashes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm looking at, at like Adam Walsh's murder, eight, 1981. So it was a year oh, before yeah. ET. Um, and, uh, a few years, but they had several years, you know, before flight of the navigator came out. I mean, that's just like, this is a film that took place kind of at, you know, the, um, I don't want to say the height of, you know, those, those occurrences, but kind of was, I mean, that's, that was like stranger danger was a thing, you know, mm-hmm. and it made which a Disney is, movie, which is so weird though, because on, on the opposite side of things, like I, my, my parents just sort of let me run wild in the wilds of Alaska. So like there's yeah. that fear, but at the same time, for me, at least there wasn't that, it wasn't like a huge fear that seemed to be causing me to be like you know hold up in my home i was mm. running around like crazy i it's just it's a weird it's weird the 80s were weird <laughs> the 80s were weird i'm reminded too at least something that stuck out to me having rewatched it today was like in the end like you know the kid gets you know knocks on the door of his home he's back in 1978 he sees his, his parents on their boat and his brother on the boat and he tells the first thing he does is like you know the dad hands him a sparkler and it's you know whatever his birthday and he's like uh he tells his mom he says i love you and she doesn't say i love you too she just goes oh and hugs him and says <laughs> what brought that on and that's kind of weird to me. Maybe because I'm like, you know, I'm like, my parents are like, meet the Fockers. Like, they're, they're like, they're, they're like the Barbara Streisand, Dustin Hoffman, opposed to, you know, the De Niro, right. not to get into the De Niro and Blythe, Blythe Danner of it all. But like, they're a little, a little more loving. They're like the Fockers. You know, I'm like the Gaylord Fawker of, right. um, uh, I don't know if that comedy aged well, but, you know, the, uh, that was my, <laughs> that was my, my upbringing. And so I was like, why didn't she say, I love you back? Like, that's alien to me but it was it's it 
plays into that whole kind of generational thing. There's a lot that was weird about it. And uh, yeah, the more I kind of think about it, the more it's, you know, it's, it's unusual. Many of these movies kind of carried on with these kids, you know, um, often doing their thing in the middle of nowhere. I remember Radio Flyer. I mean, that one freaked me out too, you know, and they were just like allowed to do whatever. What's what's Radio Flyer? Oh my gosh, Joseph Mazzello and Lorraine Bracco and Elijah Wood. That one is... That's a rough one. That's like a kid basically has an abusive stepfather and builds an airplane out of his radio flyer wheelbarrow and oh, Tom Jesus. Hanks cameos in the beginning. Yeah, it's pretty – that's a – Oh, I remember this poster. I never saw it, but I do fuck? remember the poster. Dude, that, that, is a, that is another scarred for life. I'll come back and talk – you know, whatever. That, that's a perfect uh, sister piece um, or, or abducted sibling piece to um, Flight of the Navigator. Wow. Uh, it is uh, – that's a that's a rough one. John Hurd plays like a town cop who's like sort of aware of this single mom and two kids who drive into town. She starts seeing this guy who like drinks a lot of beer. You never see his face. They shoot him very Spielbergian in that way, which makes him all the more terrifying. And they like disappear into fantasies about escaping. And so it's about child abuse, but it you know, they're, they're also like there are sequences when these kids are allowed to – these two brothers are just kind of allowed to like – you know, dip out for all day. And then it, you know, it's, um, uh, not to spoil anything, but you know, it kind of, it ends with the most abused or the, the more abused of the two brothers, like truly escaping. Like they build this, this plane, they figure out how that's like their secret project. And he does it out of his radio flyer wheelbarrow. So more now, kinder trauma. I, you know, okay. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page and apparently, at one point, there was going to be a video game adaptation of this film for the Super Nintendo. Oh, wow. What the absolute fuck. I hope you had to throw, like, fishing rods or, like, um, <laughs> like, like beer cans at the stepdad. Or, like, he would throw them at you and you have to jump, like, the Home Alone game. Like, it's like, why oh, are there, like, God. weird objects? Yeah. Wow. 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 So, Mary Beth, you... This is... <laughs> Transition time transitioning uh king of segways here uh Mary Beth, this you had never seen this before right this is your first watch i had never even heard of it you never Whoa. even heard of it no, thoughts? I, I, I thought it was i thought it was fun and really sad um i i think one of my big fears similar to you josh when i was growing up was like not wanting to be away from my family and always being mm -hmm. scared that like if i went away they wouldn't be there i was like a, such a baby when it came to slumber parties like i never wanted to be away from home and yeah. so this movie while i am now an adult i still like got <laughs> to my heart like the fear of being a kid and waking up and your mom isn't there and you're you're young and you're like the one point he says all my friends are 20 and i'm only 12 and i was like wow that heavy. is heavy heavy shit like for a children's movie, you're like, cool. So I guess I'm eight years behind everybody and I'm all alone. <laughs> and it's just that scared, scared me like existentially. Ouch. Yeah. And then it got, and then it gets like, it, then it gets like cute and funny and it's very confusing because mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. it feels very upsetting. And then also like, oh, just kidding. Look, like this funny robot and the kid are going on fun adventures around the world. Just cracking wise with one another and making jokes. I have to say I I I yeah and I I actually felt myself truly relax when Sarah Jessica Parker came on screen because oh it was God. like finally someone we know like it was almost <laughs> I equated it to like oh we ran into like an adult 
you know, a, a, a friend of a friend in this yeah. situation where I'm lost. And it was like, it, it kind of weirdly had that effect on me watching it today. It was like, oh, a friend, like someone you can trust. And I felt, <laughs> I felt that with her. I was like, oh, well, Sarah Jessica Parker from, you know, uh, Sex and City. So, you know, he'll, he'll, she'll save him. In Ralph. Well, and you know, and she's the, the she represents kind of the anti-authoritarianism because yeah. she has purple hair. Yeah, so that's right. She's Twisted like, sister. She is, she's punk. Yeah. Yes, and Twisted sister. <laughs> well, Mary Beth, what you were saying about the the kind of that that fear. What I think the director Randall Kleiser does so well is puts us completely in David's shoes in this part. Like mm. the, the moment from the moment that he sees his parents and there's that uncanny Valley of like, are you my parents that you don't look like my parents should be to him being on the gurney. And he's like, what's going on. And, you know, and, and trying to like figure, figure out what's happening while the camera is tilted upward. And there's all these doctors mm. looking down at him. And then he's with the scientists and he has the, the weird thing on his head and they're trying mm-hmm. to like figure out what's going on. And all he keeps asking is what's going on. Who's putting that on the screen? What are you talking about? He has like no answers to everything. And everyone's acting as if he's not there. They're more interested in the information that his brain is putting up on the screen mm-hmm. than his safety. And that's something that I think, uh, Kleiser does incredibly well with with this early part of the yeah, film. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's eleven. I mean, I was like, oh my god, this is. There's no world where the Duffers didn't watch Flight of the Navigator. You look at the. Um, oh yeah. You know, I'm sure Firestarter. They do the similar thing with the nodes on the head and the whole thing. But um, uh, I mean, the production design, that that again, that dread, and you know, the 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 the. I guess E. T. did it. You know, probably was the sort of pinnacle, right? You know, a, a, the mm-hmm. brunette kid having his suburban life invaded and sort of world turned upside down by another worldly thing but um they they really they did very very well there's some there's some also just not to jump around but just some incredible imagery like you know the the car the convoy cresting over the hill with the alan sylvester Mm. music and you know this craft on its um on the truck and the the moment where the doctor pulls up to the site with all the crash power lines that like tracking shot like the world that they're sort of building was was so killer but the it's so wonderfully grounded by this kid's performance i mean it was so emotional and he only was ever in like i think one other movie like the tom Selleck robot movie runaway or something i don't know well this might be a good time to to talk about joey kramer because um he has had a very troubled life post this movie wow yeah he was apparently stealing when this movie was being filmed he got into uh drugs uh, cocaine uh when he was a teenager started like stealing cars Mm. ended up getting put in jail a few times in the early 2000s oh man he had a very rough life and uh there was actually there's actually a documentary that just came out and this is the only reason i know about this that came out like uh last year 2020 it's on tubi to to watch it's called life after the navigator Mm. and it kind of digs a little bit into uh the filming of this of the movie but then it also spends a considerable amount of time kind of catching up with with joey kramer as a 44 year old i think Mm -hmm. when they were filming this who uh has been in and out of jail who was talking about how um prison isn't meant to 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 like they don't make it easy to come out and succeed after you've been rehabilitated he's talking about how uh like just all of the amount of heroin that he got involved with just like it's kind of it's a very sad story but it's something that 
I think you see a lot with, with child actors from the eighties. Cause I remember, you know, hearing about Drew Barrymore and, and you know, the, the kind of problems that would happen with, mm. with her getting involved with drugs. Like it just seemed, it made me really sad and made me really hopeful that like, that's not the case anymore with child actors. Cause it just, it's, you're setting them up to fail. Yeah. That's man. That's such a bummer. I, it makes me, um, as you're kind of running down that list, it makes me, uh, heartened to, to know, um, if that's the right word to know that like as hard as Haley Joel Osment had it, he's kind of probably our most recent like child actor comp next to the Fannings that at least I can think of. Right. You know, um, cause, uh, Jacob Tremblay hasn't yet had that, <laughs> that, uh, God for God right. forbid he does have that run. It seems like he's transitioning into, you know, that adulthood and adult career pretty well. But, um, you know, I'm, it makes me glad that like someone like Haley Joel Osment is, you know, despite his troubles, like continued to find a really cool sort of avenue and career and, and know, know too that, yeah, it is, it is really, really really tough he probably didn't get you know joey kramer probably didn't get the kind of proper shielding you know um that that you got to get at that that kind of age it's a it's a rough thing and such an intense but i mean this is this is this was like a raw talent i mean yeah kids so unquestionably good i mean it's just as good as as henry thomas you know yes 100 i was thinking that i i I'm glad that you guys have kept bringing up E.T. because I kept thinking about E.T. watching this. Like, mm-hmm. they're different, but they're obviously different, but they have very similar vibes with very strong, like, young boy performances in the center that are really, really... Well, they look kind of similar, too. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they, I think they, that was on purpose. They very much have that, like, all-American boy, like, I play baseball and love to play outside and have a have a fun dog look about them. Very, like, 80s vibe. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Gotta gotta have that uh that brunette head of hair and a, a striped shirt, you know? And a sheepdog. In order dog. to go on an adventure. Yeah, absolutely. And a sheepdog. Don't forget. Okay. Can we talk about the Frisbee Dog Championship that yes, opens this week? We can. Yes, we can. Because I was really confused about it when I watched it and it started. I was like, is this the right movie? <laughs> I know, but also <laughs> kind of like as ridiculous as it was, it was kind of brilliant. Like the the UFO frisbee shot. Mm, <laughs> right. I mean, it was like, okay, we're in arbitrary territory, but also like, oh, uh, 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 yeah, okay. It's like weirdly, uh, we're, it just, it puts you right in the world. It really does. It just goes on for an exceedingly long time. Yes, so. yes it does. Way too <laughs> I was long. Like, this nice is cold open. A weird choice for the credits, for the opening credit sequence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, no, like, you know, top shot of like NASA or like, you know, some, uh, some cold open where like a homeless dude, uh, find some relic or you know something looking up at the sky and seeing a shell-shaped object or a gas station you know cop super eight kind of a thing it's like no we'll just do a frisbee competition never never comes back into play never thematically there's no frisbee symbology or allegory or anything it's just like no this would be a cool thing let's just have some some frisbees and dogs Kids love that shit. <laughs> Kids love that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually waiting for when when you know David comes back eight years later to find out that Bruiser went on to win like the championship yeah, in, in his honor. On, like I was waiting for that kind of thematic tie-in, and I I don't think that ever happened. Bruiser just couldn't be ours to like chase after the which affair. I mean, I wouldn't want to go chase after it, a I frisbee know. either. A good B story. Come on, a C story. Let's go. <laughs> okay, so but I I do think it's fu- it's funny that this movie plays with expectations of, a couple times with the the idea of like the UFO. Like you mentioned that the opening is the frisbee that initially 
seems like it is going to be the the flying saucer. And then when it's at when it's done, they're like walking in this giant shadow passes over me like, oh, this is going to be it. Nope, it's just a blimp. And then later on, there's like this kind of ominous scene where where David is walking and it's just a water tower. Like <laughs> there's all yeah, these like they never really. Yeah, exactly. They that kind of there. There's some miss miss symbology, miss uh, miss reincorporation for sure. Yeah, it's like oh, this would look cool, but then it's like you know you it's it's funny to rewatch this and then to think of what's been made since like the water tower with super eight the nodes with mm. stranger things and the kind of production design of it all um i think it was a more is i wonder if there's a reason why people don't sort of talk about this film or don't know about this film the way that they do you know whatever the other handful of fantastical um kind of uh you know um boy or, or girl kid on an adventure kind of story I, like doesn't it feel like it's a bit more obscure as a lot of people i mean mary beth you were saying you hadn't heard of it right yeah i hadn't heard of it so it definitely felt more obscure to me but then like you said watching it it felt like a movie that everyone would have seen it had that that same vibe that same like exciting kind of adventurous maybe a little scary but not too scary vibe to it and there's always a happy ending so yeah but it definitely feels like i never hear anyone really talk about this either when they mm. talk about movies that scared them or scarred them for life i haven't really heard this one come up in conversation. well not many people needed their mommy and their daddy as bad as i did i guess when i was a kid <laughs> so so this is what, like oh this was this is scar me it's not like you know society like watching it you know my brother and my sister having a sleepover stumbling in on some awful you know like uh <laughs> shunting trauma yeah scene exactly it's like, no it's just it's just um you know wanting you know my mommy um yeah but uh I, hey that's a very real thing though i yeah i yeah. wasn't a suck up to my parents and was very nervous and I loved my parents and I didn't yeah. like being away because what if they weren't there? I was a very terrified child. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's just, again, it, like that's something that Kleiser does really well. It's like makes you feel truly in his shoes like like you're you're you will not make it home you feel so i don't know there's just something also just about yeah. the way that like especially nasa and the way that like the woods even for as short mm. as that sequence is like nighttime is lit the way that he the way that um the dark the way that like every everywhere with the exception of his being on the spaceship is sort of lit um uh, is is really kind of grim in a way and and scary that way, like in a in a return to Oz kind of way. And then mm -hmm. when they're like, you know, he's talking about like you might be vaporized if we go back to 1978. The way that um the uh the ship's face changes like the how light i mean that was just rewatching it today and the lightning and everything before he kind of you know wakes up in the 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 um the ravine again was like pretty pretty unsettling like you know yeah. suddenly this uh this yeah this this alien um this alien machine is is turning evil it looked like the uh, villain from donald sutherland's virus if i'm being being honest with you anybody, anybody oh, out there remember you know, so yes. there you go. man i haven't <laughs> the first time someone's referenced uh, a baldwin sutherland <laughs> horror movie jamie lee curtis too you know jamie lee curtis yeah, virus that was, was yep. that late 90s or was that early oh yeah 2000s? totally probably like you know a few years after uh God, was ninety? Yeah, around ninety six. Anyway, nineteen ninety nine. Jeez, Whoa, man. there you go. I was eighteen when I saw that in the theater. I remember yeah. seeing that in the theater. <laughs> wow, yeah, that was a VHS pull for me. Like, oh, this might be a fun time. It's like, well, 
I've already forgotten about it, but it was uh, yeah, a lot a lot of boat horror, a lot of like deep rising probably came oh, out around rising. the same time. Oh, yeah, deep rising, so oh, good. Be still, yeah, be still, my heart. <laughs> this movie is structured really weird though, because you know you're you're talking about all these like kind of horrific incidences, and the beginning part of this movie is filled with a lot of like oppressiveness. It's very it's a very mm. oppressive film, and then halfway through. You know, he's up on the spaceship and then it turns into like a kind of joyful adventure movie. It's it's mm. really weirdly structured. And I'm curious, uh, Josh, if because if, like I hadn't seen this movie since I was a kid and I somehow remembered that or thought that the entire movie was his adventure, not like the last half of it. And so I had conflated how long he actually is on that ship as being like the entire movie from when oh. I was, when I was remembering it. I think I did too. I, uh, uh, there was a moment today when I was like, Oh shit, is he going to go to another planet? Like, right. You know, when I was re when I was rewatching, I was like, is he going to go to Phalon? Cause that, I, I assume that that was either in the cards or was going to be, you know, open to sequel potential, like actually see what this place looks like. Um, but I, I totally, it was totally the same way. Although when I, when I thought about it over the years and like, you know, this movie that scarred me for life, I, I would always think about him knocking on the door and like mm -hmm. his parents not looking the same or not. Like I, what I remembered as a kid was before I rewatched it was like that they didn't remember him um, mm. was something oh, that I, wow. I yeah. as opposed to them being like, Oh my gosh, you're home. It's been 12 years. Um, and I remembered, uh, you know, the, um, like the gruesome slime of like the puppet, uh, alien oh. that like had the cold like that one really stuck <laughs> with me so like, gross oh yeah yeah i was it jim henson i don't know if it was like feels like knockoff henson maybe it was i don't know it was like here's the ones we have in the back we'll just put them on the put them on the uh the ship for you although i have to say that as a kid i really wanted the one that he takes with him uh the oh yeah Marin. i remember as a kid wanting that so badly i mean they had to have that merch right it's like you had enough et shit but i don't know is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you that you feel like that could be you could put the little suckers on its hands and just stick it to the back oh, of your yeah. dad's subaru loyal you know and yeah <laughs> But okay, but this adventure part though, and w watching it as an adult, I still think it's rather horrific because the <laughs> way the way Max uh, sort of casually abused David, where like there, there's the quote where he he tells David, "Your inferior species uses only ten percent of your brain," so we filled it all the way up with star charts to see what would happen. Like wow, that's I, didn't, yeah. I didn't even I didn't even think about that. I was like, yeah, okay, that's just like what happens. That's horrific. Yeah, I just I, want to I, see what would happen. I can't wait quite claim like it, there was a terrifying moment where it was like, you know, I'm going to do whatever you say because you're the navigator and I'm going to like cushion up your seat with these metal braces because you're the navigator. So I'm going to listen to what you say. But also I, I've been tasked with going galaxy to galaxy to uh, to take life forms and study them. And I did that with you. But also now you're the you're the navigator. So I'm going to like listen to you and obey you. But also call you names and also, uh, you know, yeah, like, uh, I don't know, put you at risk of getting vaporized by bringing you back. So he was never going to be brought back in the first place. Right. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is traumatizing to think about. I'm sure that hit me on other levels when I was a kid, but processing like how alien it is on every level. Horrific. Horrific. Yeah. Come on, Randall. <laughs> Honey, I blew up the kid. Let's, let's fast forward a little bit. Why couldn't this be more like Greece, you know? <laughs> Now, you know, one thing that I did think about is like, man, can you imagine what it would be like to just 
lose eight years of your life like I, you uh, I can't, you I were can't. like you know it's too much but you're the same age you have an age you just move forward into the future is there an advantage like, to that i guess maybe i'm thinking about like the question that they asked the kid and it's what made me think about this about who's the president and i'm thinking can you imagine if he was in you know i don't know 2008 and then gets kidnapped and all of a sudden or like gets transported to eight years later and now they're like well who's the president he's like barack obama Oof. Ouchie, wouchie, Dr. Fauci. That would suck. Yeah, that'd be really that would suck. Just, can you imagine? <laughs> the reality star that you saw from your mom's favorite show on NBC. Um, he is now yeah, it would be that'd be a rough that'd be a rough go. That'd be a rough go. Although maybe he would know. No. Remember Home Alone? <laughs> Remember Home Alone 2? That's what it would be. Yeah. yeah oh my be. god. Remember Home Alone 2? Remember the news every every uh, every sixty minutes. This- okay, that was the other thing that like that popped in my head was that like when his mom, played by Veronica Cartwright, who's you know still wrangling with eight aliens, like eight years yeah. later, she is like looking for news stories on him, and she and they're like more at eleven. She's like oh eleven o'clock, and I'm just thinking about man, that was quite a different time <laughs> from now. When it's like this story will be like round the clock, and we'll have like people talk about it constantly for a 24 hour news cycle. Now. I mean, I was just kind of thinking more about, well, first of all, Veronica Cartwright, like wonderful performance in the witches of Eastwick. I've never been so sickened by someone who threw up so much cherry, um, <laughs> but uh, amazing sequence. Uh, I think it was, she was married to Richard Jenkins in that, but um, she also let Jeff go on the roof and set up fireworks with the government in the house. Like there's, there was just another thing they didn't care about. Um, like so many government officials, house. Yeah, exactly. They're just like, oh well, the older kid's gonna go up, up on the roof and fire fireworks, but um, we're not allowed to leave. Um, and uh, yeah, I, there was a, there's a lot of things that were off, but probably indicative, you know, well indicative of the time. And I'm grateful for the um, for the time capsule. Whereas like now, it's like you know, a lot of uh, helicopter parent films, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Not that I could reference one, but you know, I was about to be like, is Minari? I don't know, but uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> No, I didn't see it. It's not. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You know, a helicopter parent film like Minari. Yeah. yeah. Minari. I'm a terrible filmmaker. I have no frame of Yeah, you know, a helicopter parent film like Nomadland. I have no reference to <laughs> films. Yeah, nothing. This is how I disarm my actors to do to just like do what I want them to do on set is disarm them with humor and like references and I rapid fire at them until they get exhausted. <laughs> Until until Michaela Watkins is like, okay, what do you want me to do, kid? You know, <laughs> and it works. It usually works, even with Glenn. You know. <laughs> okay, I'm dying. Uh, um, <laughs> thank you. Thank God. Is there anything else that we want to talk about with uh, Flight of the Navigator before we give it a rating out of five? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty uh, pretty re-traumatized successfully. <laughs> Sweet, awesome. That's what we go for here. Absolutely love to hear it. <laughs> All right, uh, Terry. So how many uh, Frisbee dog championships out of five do you give the Flight of the Navigator? Oh, boy. Uh, you know, I remember this movie being really special as a kid. And I, I do – revisiting it, I, I kind, it kind of lost its luster for me, I have to unfortunately say. But in terms of like nostalgia, my my rating as a kid would have been probably four and a half Frisbee dog championships out of five. Sorry to cut the dog <laughs> in half. Um, or maybe I'm just cutting the, con- the championship in half, uh, which – Just cut the Frisbee in half. Come on now. <laughs> Where's the fun in that? Don't hurt Jesus. Air Bud. Come okay. on. <laughs> 
Um, I, I think honestly, probably it would be three and a half frisbee dog championships out of five for me. I think there's a there's a lot of fun stuff in here, and there is. I mean, this this movie, even though it is not talked about as much, is important because it's actually where uh, James Cameron got the idea for using that reflective mapping for Terminator 2 was this movie. Whoa. Actually. No shit, really? Whoa. Yeah. You mean on the ship when it's like, yeah. wow, this projecting. Was the first, this was the first movie that did that. Uh, I think what they called it is reflective reflection mapping. This was the first full oh. movie that, that used it. And in the documentary that I watched, it actually they were talking about how James Cameron actually was like, ah, this is great. And he ended up using it in Terminator 2. I would actually hazard to say that he probably also used the storyline a little bit because you think about it, a kid with this like robotic force that's learning to be a human and the like, I don't leak you link. And what's the purpose of laughing? I kind of kind of see the Terminator 2 in that personally. I now know why you cry. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I OK. I just a very I'm so sorry. Very, very brief aside. Yeah. My fiance told me that that was lying in that movie and I did not believe him. And it happened. And I almost passed out from laughing. So hard. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was so stupid. Anyway. <laughs> Is it from the original that he says that? No, it's from no, Terminator it's 2. No, it's from Terminator 2 Terminator at the 2. end. Now I know why you cry. Yeah, okay. Now I know why you cry. <laughs> and then he melts. With the thumbs up. <laughs> Sorry. Just... Anyway. All right. So three and a half. That's half. I'm cutting a frisbee in half just for yeah, you. Yeah, don't cut air button half. I think I, I, I completely meet you. I think I would have given it the same review way back when, you know, like the two and a half less or two less, you know, for being totally freaked out. Um, but uh, three and a half, I think, feels fair. I think it's like it actually kind of – I was surprised by the quality of it and by the score and the, you know, emotionality mm-hmm. and, the yeah, the the – the the uh, being re-traumatized by his you know quest through the woods and the kind of et vibes yeah what about you mary beth um i think i'm also gonna give it three and a half and i have absolutely zero nostalgia for this movie so i'm <laughs> wow. just coming out of, i'm just coming out this movie of like oh okay an old movie that we're watching for the podcast i was very surprised about how much i enjoyed it i really loved the effects like we were talking about with the ship mm-hmm. I, the inside of the ship was so fucking cool and made me think a lot just about spaceship design and how much i love spaceship design and how much i love when movies really make it look unique and do something really cool with practical effects and set work and how much i just really appreciated that and also how like yeah. weirdly iconic it is for no one exactly like, again we keep saying it but like this movie is not talked about enough alongside other movies and it's just as good so i'm glad to have seen it and can now talk about it and also see sarah jessica parker as a young actress with purple hair. Oh yeah, and also <laughs> well, uh, speaking of that, um, the uh, the f- uh, spaceship design that that um, that production designer was it William Krieber did the Towering Inferno and Planet of the oh. Apes and Poseidon Adventure. It's like it's Whoa, really really dope cool. dope production design. Like it's uh, original. Yeah, I I I had to look that up as soon as um as soon as I was watching. I was like, wait a minute, who who did this? This is this is killer. Yeah. I mean that ship design is is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah it's great. It's, I mean like those like those consoles that rise up that had the bulb lights in them that gave that yes. translucent mm-hmm. glow. So 
crazy. Yeah, it was cool. cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for joining us to talk about uh, the flight of the navigator. Where can our listeners find you, and what do you have that you'd like to share? Oh, just uh, at Josh Rubin, pretty much everywhere. Not like the sandwich, though. R U B E N at Josh Rubin, <laughs> and um, uh, I already forgot your follow up question, so I'll just say, look for me there to find you know everything from um, you know Jeff Bridges impressions to news about my upcoming feature film Werewolves Within, which is currently in theaters. Which is and currently in theaters. It's my upcoming and my current. It's um, it's it's both in the past and in the end of the future, just like Flight of the Navigator. It transcends time and space. It does. It's just that good, just- everybody moving at the speed of light <laughs> <laughs> um so listeners you've heard from us but we want to hear from you what was your experience with flight of the navigator you can send us an email at scarred for life podcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us directly on twitter i am at mb mcandrews and i'm at gaily dreadful and of course don't forget to follow the podcast on twitter at scarred podcast please don't forget to review rate and subscribe thank you to, to eric power for our artwork thank you to sean keller for our music thank you everyone for listening please stay safe out there but most importantly stay creepy and until next time ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.